This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Danny M. Lavery. With me in the studio this week is Hare Kondabolu, the star of the Netflix stand-up special, Warn Your Relatives, and the critically acclaimed documentary, The Problem with Apu. In 2018, he was named one of Variety's comedians to watch. And now I'm sitting here watching him. He will be in New York City headlighting Caroline's on Broadway from January 23rd to 25th. Hari, welcome to the show. Oh, Danny, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. It's good to see and to be seen. It's good to watch. <laughs> it's good to watch comedians. It's good to be watched by a comedian. I, I'm feeling really good about this. I love the show so much. And it's been a few I think the last time I was on was, was with W. Kamau Bell. So it's been a minute. It's been a while, yeah. Yeah, so I'm really excited to be back. I am excited, too. I hope we can get him to you know, come out to New York sometime yeah. soon and join us. Um, I think one of these days, and this is just a thought, I think you should have my mom on. It's not even a question. <laughs> like, yes, she, make it she happen. She would love this so much. I'm serious. I know it's a weird time to ask you this question it's or mention this. It's a perfect time because I look like an asshole if I say no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but she would love this. I think you both would have a great time. I agree. Okay, we're absolutely making this happen. We'll get her on. And then once I would like to have the both of you on. Because oh my God, I would like yes. to put you two into conflict with one another if possible. <laughs> yes. Good. I'm all about this. Great. So we're going to start with something that is just unbelievably awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about it earlier when I was making myself a cup of tea. And um, I hated it then and I hate it now. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. There is no disagreement on this one. Yeah. I think we're pretty much on the same page. I yeah, winced. we're not going to be able to like good cop, bad cop it. No. Also, all cops are bad. <laughs> That's a, I like I, said that and I was like, oh, that phrase like suggests some cops are good. Uh, yeah. And I reject that premise. If you're not going to use that, I will throw it into my stand up back, by the way. Please take it. I will take it. Please absolutely take it. I will take it. That's I'm, I'm so sure, funny. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that because I feel like. It's a common it's phrase, good, and you're absolutely. It's like good cop, bad cop. It's basically bad cop and bad cop who hides the body. Like I mean, those are the two cops. Well, because I, I, it's not even like I want to make some sort of claim about every single individual. So much as the point is that it's not about the individual goodness of no. one officer over another. The point is whether or not the system is one that facilitates and creates goodness and safety. Yes, and it doesn't. Also, the good cop in these scenarios usually is just trying to win your trust against the bad cop, but they're working on it together. Well, I mean, yeah, maybe the phrase already is kind of aware of it because yeah. they are. Hey, I'm your friend. You can admit the truth Trying to, to hit you from both sides so that they can, in conjunction, bring you down. So yeah. at any rate, all of which is to say, <laughs> uh, abolish the police and don't take pictures of your friends when they're in a coma. Yeah. Yeah, I will agree with that. Subject. Friend took pics while I was in a coma. Now, I haven't started reading, but already I will be honest. I did have an opinion before I started reading. Yeah. The subject line really says it all. Yeah. You can make a totally fair moral assessment just by reading the subject line. Like probably shouldn't have done that. But continue. Dear Prudence, a couple of years ago, I was admitted to the hospital for a routine procedure. I ended up developing sepsis and I was placed in a medically induced coma due to liver and kidney failure. I became jaundiced and my body swelled up to almost twice my normal size. When I woke up a week later, I learned that a dear friend had sat with me. I was very grateful for that. However, at some point, she asked me if I wanted to see the pictures she had taken of me while I was a gigantic yellow blob in a coma. I told her that I had dealt with enough and had no desire to ever see the pictures. I did feel uncomfortable that she had taken the pics in the first place, but I don't think I ever mentioned that to her, and the subject was never brought up again. Until last week. I was at her house over the holidays and found out that she had recently shown the pictures to a cousin of hers who I barely know and don't care for. I asked her about it, and turns out she has shown the pictures to numerous people over the past two years. She said she didn't think I would mind. Prudy... I feel so hurt and violated by this. 
Had the roles been reversed, it would never have occurred to me to take any pictures of her, much less violate her privacy by showing them to everyone. Am I making too big a deal of this? It's been two years, after all. Should I just let it go? Obviously, we both think it's terrible, but like you say, should I just let it go? You haven't even held it yet. That's right. So like, please don't feel like I'm not allowed to say anything because I didn't say anything before. But like you haven't even brought it up with your friend. So the idea that you could have talked about it too much. Yes. No, you, you haven't. You get to talk about it now. I mean, and also you you did let it go. You let it go when you found out they took pictures of you when you were in a coma. Sure. And you were like, I don't want to see them myself. Right. You know, even though you felt uncomfortable to begin with, you were just like, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to let it pass. You got out of a a, a coma. What a, you know, I, I assume at that point you were thinking about bigger things than these pictures, which irked you even at the time. But this, the idea that this person would not delete them after you got out of a coma and after you said you didn't want to see them, but held on to them for whatever strange reason and then turned you into an exhibit for other people to see is unacceptable. That I, I don't understand what world that would be okay because you were in an extremely vulnerable position and a friend who was supposed to sit with you out of love decided to do something essentially for their own benefit. This would be interesting later. And why is she showing people? Are they all experts on on jaundice? Like, why are they? Why is she showing these people? Yeah, I mean, I I think that your friend should have known not to take those pictures in the first place. Failing that, they should have gotten the hint when you said, "I've had enough to deal with. I don't ever want to see this." So, like. I think your friend already had all the information they needed not to make the choices that they made. So I, I think it's actually just fine to say, I haven't said this before, partly because I was hoping it would just go away and also partly because I was really baffled by yeah. your behavior. Because yeah. on the one hand, you were really present for me during that week that I was in a coma. And then on the other hand, you took pictures of me when I was unconscious and vulnerable and I looked you know, really unwell. Um, and you, when I told you I didn't want to see them, that I felt like I'd been through too much, you decided to start showing other people like it was funny. And I, I've been so hurt by that. And I don't understand why you would do that. Can you walk me through what made you think that was, I think it might be, I, I guess you could either say like, if you just want to like say, this sucked, it hurt me, I need you to stop and like not go into too much detail because right. you just don't want to with them, that would be fine. And then if you also wanted to have a more in-depth conversation because this is a longtime friend or somebody that you're hoping to potentially restore a healthy relationship with, you could say, like, I want you to walk me through why you took that picture in that moment, what it felt like to show other people, what you thought you were getting out of that, why you thought that was a good idea, what you thought I might think about it, because I don't understand. And to really let them kind of struggle through, oh, I... Fuck, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Because if they are a a person who really loves you and cares about you, having to acknowledge the ways in which they violated your privacy and hurt you will hopefully help them realize, I don't ever want to do this again and I've got a lot to make up for. I think it might also be important to give this a deep think and see if this follows a larger pattern of behavior that perhaps you haven't quite, you know, put your finger on before or noticed. Has this friend done other things that are at your expense that you never really thought about deeply, but, you know, have have they used you for their entertainment in different ways in the past? Have they been insensitive and thought, thoughtless and put their needs and wants over yours? Because I feel like, to me, this seems like uh, something that couldn't have just come out of nowhere. It right. just seems so, like, the, the, the fact that, like, I, I have a tough time believing that a person only has this weird weakness for people in comas. Right. Where and, this and is the only moment where like, I mean, everything else, I'm a great friend, except for this thing. I just couldn't help myself. Right. And and I think it would be like fair to go back and revisit that. She said she didn't think I would mind. Like, mm. I, I think you need to challenge that. And I think you would say like, do you remember when you asked me if I wanted to see them? And I told you I've been through too much. I have no desire to see them. Did that strike you as excitement, interest, enthusiasm? What part of that made you think I was glad that you had taken those pictures? Because I think what she's trying to do is really shitty, which is like, 
well, you didn't yell at me at the time, so how could I possibly have known? First of all, common sense suggests that when someone does not consent to have their picture taken because they're in a coma, you cannot automatically assume that they'd be excited about it. Yeah. Like you don't have that. You don't have that. And so then when the only thing you've ever said to her about the pictures was sadness and dislike. So, you know, really go back and challenge that because what she wants to do and this is often people's first defensive response to being told they've done something wrong and hurtful is, I didn't really think it was because they want to be able to say like, oh, it was all an accident. Who was to say? And again, I'm not saying that like if she owns up to the seriousness of the violation that she perpetrated against you, she then has to remove herself from society and say, I can never, ever be a good person ever again. But if, if right now her thing is like, my only way I can see myself as a good person is if I pretend I didn't really know what I was doing and minimize, she will never be able to actually grapple with the seriousness of what she did to you. And I would say, like, I think something like this could and probably should fall under something like revenge porn laws. I don't mm. mean could in the sense that, like, you have a legal case against your friend. I'm sure you don't. But I, I think we should be putting it in that same category in terms of what a violation it is. I also think as a society, at at least in my lifetime, I feel like we have devalued what it means to take a picture. Hmm. It's become too easy to take pictures. And in some ways, of course, it has a great deal of importance when we talk about police brutality or things like that. Like, of course, this easy access to to being able to record and take pictures of things is very important. But there's something about the fact that it was that easy to just press a button and take a picture. If right. you had to get a camera right. to take a picture of a person in a coma, I would imagine that step would feel a little stranger. Or if you had to set up a camera and lights and do all that, it would feel absurd. But there's right. something about a phone and how quick and easy it is. It almost is like the lack of value in taking pictures. It, it feels like the 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 devaluing of photo taking yeah. has kind of been now attached to the subject yeah. as if the subject themselves doesn't have value that the subject themselves would perhaps not consent to yeah. this and yeah. consent in any picture I think is very important. Do you like, do you want your picture taken? Are you okay with me having you in this picture? And right. that's when both people are conscious and can make choices. Right. Even that's not a guaranteed yes. And I think too, like at the time that she took the pictures, it doesn't sound like it was clear you were going to pull through. Oh, and so to me, and again, like I understand when people are grieving and they're going through a lot, they can act out in strange ways. Maybe there was a part of her that was distressed and was like, I want to have a last picture, even if it's painful. Yeah. But to then turn it into an object of fun again, it's just she shouldn't have taken it in the first place. If she had, as soon as you said you weren't comfortable with it, she should have apologized and deleted it and said, I was wrong to do that. That's all she needed to do. And the fact that she spent the last couple of years showing people and then when you said this hurts you or that you weren't comfortable with it, she tries to pretend that she didn't think you would mind when in fact she actually knew you weren't comfortable with it is not cool. So totally up to you whether you want to just have a very straightforward like delete the pictures, don't show them to anyone else again, fuck off. You're totally entitled to that. Or if you would like to have a more in-depth conversation with her, you can do that too. And it's just really okay for you to like not give in to her defensiveness or her attempts to minimize by saying, who's to say it was all in good fun. It's It wasn't, and you're to say. Mm. I feel like your advice was much more practical and mine was just angry. I was very angry for this person. It's, it's both. Like, it's it's just both. And I really, really hope that your friend never, ever does something like this again, never shows people these pictures again, and is able to really stop and reflect on why this hurt you yes it's not hard it's not confusing it's not a muddle all right we'll move on to something that i think is less clear-cut and is also a little bit lower stakes although i also understand why they're uncomfortable the subject is nudist colony I don't know why I pronounced the word colony like that. I think I was like <laughs> colony. Um, it because was colonialism in general is a terrible thing. And so just trying to get the word colony out of your mouth, it made you feel a little sick. I think I just didn't get enough sleep last night. But I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Dear Prudence, I don't want to be a prude. Cute. But I get terrible anxiety when my wife walks around the house for hours stark naked around our young children. 
is this something that I should work on myself to accept as normal? Or am I justified in handing her a robe to put on with some stink eye? Are those really your only two options? Yeah. Um, I, I think you have better options than this. I feel like, on one hand, I feel like no one should be ashamed of their body and people should be comfortable in their homes. At the same time, I do think that it is important to respect people's boundaries, even if they are your partners. And if you feel uncomfortable for whatever reason, you have the right to be uncomfortable and you have the right to say, this is something that makes me uncomfortable. This is why. And I think that's an important lesson also for children to know that they have the right to express themselves. They have the right to not be ashamed of their body, obviously. And at the same time, they have the the right to expect an environment where they feel safe and comfortable. And I think both those things are true. I don't know, but I don't know if a stink guy is useful. No, I would never encourage you to try to communicate like uh, a policy change about household nudity through like glaring at your naked wife. Yeah, like what's wrong with you? It's a great way you? to destroy intimacy yes. and trust. So yes. don't, definitely don't do that. Um, I also think this seems like one of those situations where it's also important to investigate your own discomfort with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Like I think the discomfort in the very first letter was like, I get where that comes from. It comes from a violation of privacy and consent and the fact that somebody has been like laughing about an incredibly painful, scary moment in your life. With this one, I think it's both true that like it's perfectly fine to simply prefer not to be naked around your kids. And I also think there's lots of people who tend to be naked at home. There's nothing sexual about it. There's nothing inappropriate about it. Probably it's it's a healthy environment in the sense that like naked bodies aren't seen as inherently like sexual or shocking. Right. Um, that said, that's not my relationship to walking around naked. So it's one of those things where I'm like, ah, I can admire that in theory. And I can also imagine myself being uncomfortable in that situation. I just think it's worth to say like, Where's my discomfort coming from? Yeah, I, I think you can both respect your own discomfort and ask yourself some questions about it. I would just say, why don't you and your wife sit down and talk about it? Talk about what are rules you can both agree on. Um, like get the easy ones out of the way where it's like, okay, well, once like the kids are teenagers and having friends over all the time, we'll keep on some clothes. Teenagers seems still a bit too old, old. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. middle school and elementary is still right right yeah. right or like um yeah like everybody wears clothes when there's guests in the house what would we do if any of our kids express discomfort with like mm. nudity or like how would we make sure that they felt like they had all the options towards like privacy that they wanted i i'm i'm totally aware too like i did not grow up, up in a house with nudity Me and neither. then my first like serious boyfriend his family was european and so, like, sometimes his parents were nude and I was just like... <laughs> is that a European thing? I think so. I think, huh. I, I, like, the stereotype I think of is like, oh, you Americans, you're such Puritans with your yeah. hang-ups. Um, well, I guess they originally were, right? Some some of them. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't think that your wife is doing anything necessarily wrong. And I don't think that if you didn't grow up with it, that there's anything wrong with feeling like, oh, this is a little jarring. But I also think, like, Finding things that you can compromise on, like, okay, maybe hours is too long, but maybe there's a particular time of day when she enjoys being nude more, or maybe she wants to be nude, especially, like, after the kids have gone to bed and, like, once it's mostly just the two of you in the house. And developing a relationship to nudity that's not totally phobic and that also embraces the fact that sometimes there are different comfort levels and it's okay to kind of come up to somebody else's level sometimes. And also, I'm assuming there was a time where the two of you perhaps— um, and this is assuming a lot, but were naked or one of you was naked without children there um, if you were together before the kids. And if that is the case, I guess, why were you OK with it then? And what specifically about having children makes you uncomfortable with the nudity? Is it that uh, you feel like there should be more of a separation uh, between adult and child? You feel like there should be kind of, uh, you know, because children are naked all the time. Right. And so is it that like it just there's a certain vulnerability in nakedness that doesn't feel appropriate? Is it just all of a sudden nudity with adults feels sexual to you immediately? What is it that, you know, I mean, personally, I I don't think I could handle it very well. And I I sympathize because I I, not with the stink eye part, but like, uh, you know, I, I don't 
I grew up with Puritans. I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also have that impulse. So I just think, I just always think it's good to get specific when a word likes like uncomfortable or appropriate pops yeah. up. I mean, yeah. certain things are just appropriate and inappropriate. Yeah. But like being a kid and your mom is sometimes naked around the house, that does not strike me as like inherently like worrying. Yeah. So when you think like if the word inappropriate pops up in your head, ask yourself gently, what do I mean by inappropriate? Hmm. You know, what's the fear here? Hmm. Um, what's the boundary I'm worried is going to get fuzzy and uh is it a boundary that's actually really important or is it a boundary that has to do more with like cover your shame yeah and also again like there's always great rules like you should sit down on something that's not the couch right like you should have a towel of some sort to sit upon that's reasonable anyways good luck to the both of you i think this is great stuff to get to hash out um and as long as you can speak kindly and respectively towards one another i think there's a lot of compromises that are available to you i think this next letter is your turn to read I always get mixed up. Um, the subject is, I want my dad to stop being a creep. Dear Prudence, my father is a creep. He's the type to call other adults working as cashiers or waiters, sweetie, kiddo, hun, etc. I've heard my mother say that he does this and even says love you to female employees at work. I've never really been close to him, so I'm not sure how to bring it up and be convincing. What do I say to successfully get him to stop this behavior and explain that it's wrong, not well-intentioned? I'm worried that if I'm too hard, he will get defensive and not change. Then again, if I'm too soft, he might not get the hint and also not change. And how do I follow up to make sure the message has gotten through for good? Hmm. I think, you know, obviously this is something that a lot of men, especially older men, have issues with because... They treat every woman as if they're their daughter or mother or grandmother. Like everyone has a some a kind of connection. You feel a certain entitlement that you absolutely do not have. And calling a a woman you know, sweetie. Do you have Do you have a nickname for the the male cashiers too? Which would still probably be weird, but you it doesn't sound like, like yeah. Hey, yeah, my, uh, my favorite cashier, Sweetie and Sport. Exactly. There's no sport. There's yeah, no yeah, sport. Yeah. Um, I call him my sweet little champion. Right. Because <laughs> if he did that, that would still be really inappropriate, but, but also kind, kind of funny. Kind of funny. Um, definitely uh, telling female employees at work that you love them if you don't tell the male employees at work that is very weird. Like telling employees, I mean, and also telling them that indiscriminately to some degree like do you have a relationship uh, a real friendship with these people then it's no because they're your employees right and they depend on you for their living so they don't have a lot of grounds to say please don't call me hun right i'm an adult at work but with with like love you like you know i i definitely have close friendships where you say that i've definitely worked with people where there's that level of like we're in it together but that doesn't sound like the kind of relation it doesn't sound like he develops a lot of close relationships he just throws that out there yeah like love you do you realize how hard it is for someone to tell another person they love them and how meaningful that is and this person's just giving them out boss just like to all the gals i bet he says gals yo definitely he says gals Uh, so I'll, i'll say this i I don't say this to discourage you from offering an intervention here, letter writer, but um, your dad will get defensive Mm -hmm. and he will not change. So that's just what's going to happen. It may be that at some point in his life, he has an internal experience such that he is willing to reconsider the choices that he has convinced himself are natural and well-intended or whatever else, but... On the strength of one or even five really persuasive conversations from you, given that he's developed no interest in changing, um, I think you can relieve the pressure of getting your dad to change off the table. If your goal is to get your dad to change, I think you will feel frustrated and stymied pretty quickly. If your goal is simply to make sure my dad's had at least one conversation with someone where they made it really clear why this is not appropriate Mm -hmm. and encouraging him to stop, whatever he does after that is not my responsibility. So – I, I would let go the how do I follow up to make sure the message has gotten through. You can't control his receptivity. All you can do is say what you want to say. Um, I, I will also say, like, you're not close. Frankly, if you just wanted to keep your distance from this guy, I think that's fine. I don't think you owe him 
this kind of work. Um, I don't think he's likely to be receptive to it. I don't think you have to feel like if I don't do it, I'm sort of responsible for him being gross to waitresses everywhere. He's responsible for being gross to waitresses everywhere. But if it feels important to you, don't try. I, I think it's a trap to say like, Dad, I know you thought it was well intended, but it's actually wrong. Um, you can just call it what it is. Dad, it's fucked up to call waitresses sweetie and hun um, and to use like dismissive sexist terms to women and not to men. You shouldn't do it. You should stop. That's it. It's not an argument. It's like a pretty straightforward thing. And if you kind of cede the moral high ground to him and say like, I'm sure you don't actually mean it. And you probably never even noticed that you don't do this to guys. Of course you've noticed. Yeah. And he does this to female employees and not female higher ups because he knows that if he did it mm-hmm. to women who didn't depend on him for his living, that he wouldn't be able to get away with it. Mm-hmm. That's why he does it to baristas and cashiers and waitresses because they depend on tips for a living. Like he doesn't go and do it to salaried women who don't work for him because he knows they would say, that's not my fucking name. Don't call me that. Right. Right. But with people who are in positions that are dependent on him, he's everybody's daddy in his head. And that, that's sick. That's sick. The universal daddy donor. Yes. There's that, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's obviously like old school, straight up patriarchy. I do think that if you do speak to your father, if you go in with the idea that I, do I follow up to change him? No. But I do think if you do speak to your father and you're really clear with him and you you show a certain firmness like he should have at least that conversation at least once in his life with someone and maybe he dismisses you maybe it has no impact but to have that potentially in his head so if someone else says that to him he notices some kind of pattern you know i he could easily just say, oh, everyone's too sensitive nowadays. It's very, very easily he could go that route. Right. But at least. Or like, you don't get it. They love it. They're always right. smiling when I do it. So getting a few more people to say no, you know, I think that that does build up. You, after a while, if you're a decent human being, you would hope that like, what am I doing? This maybe I didn't know this is how it's impacting people. I don't know if he's decent or not. And it sounds like there's a lot of reasons to believe that he isn't. One question I do have, Danny, is. You know, the idea that if you don't really want to be around this person, is your is it your responsibility to say something? And, you know, I find it interesting because especially post-election, there was a lot of discussion about our responsibility uh, with our relatives. And it was especially, you know, white people talking to their relatives about racism, even though they're uncomfortable conversations. And the idea being who else is going to have these conversations and you have the most access to this person to have these conversations, does that not apply in this situation when it comes to sexism? I think that's really useful. I I think, um, broadly speaking, that's a a useful rubric. There's, I think there's a difference between somebody who says, my main goal is to be able to spend holidays with these people and ignore their racism in a way that's most convenient to me versus I am directly in many ways affected by my father's sexism. We don't have a relationship. I would prefer to see him less as time goes on. So I would say in each case, it, part of it depends on, like, does this directly affect you? Hmm. My read here is that this letter writer is a young woman. I, I feel pretty confident in, in saying that. Um, and so she has, I think, real reason to believe that her father would turn this sexism on her if she were to have this conversation with him. I also think there would be value in challenging him. Um, and so I think if she feels prepared to accept that she can't control the outcome, it would be valuable. Mm. I, I don't think in this case that I would go so far as to say she has an obligation here because, again, this this directly affects her demographic. Right. Um, but I do think that it would probably, if nothing else, it, it might feel good to think, like, I stood up to my dad. Yeah. I told him what he was doing was wrong. I couldn't control what happened afterwards, but I was e- at least able to say, this is not okay. I don't want to um, make room for this in my own life. And I'm able to walk away feeling like my hands are clean. I think a key part of that from what you said also is to not have certain expectations. If you go in without expectations, if you go in without the idea that you can or you know change him, there's the possibility of if you go in with, it's almost like you're doing your due diligence if that's how you feel, like I'm doing my due diligence as a human being in the world and I can handle the results of it, yeah. whatever they are, 
that's different than if you feel like this person's this person's going to unload on me after I say this, and I don't think I can take it. Yeah, and and I think and this is I think the last thing that I'll say about this, but like. I'm worried that if I'm too hard, he won't change. I'm worried if I'm too soft, he won't change. The way that this letter writer has already made it her fault that her father yeah. doesn't stop being a sexist is like, you, his daughter, are not to blame for his sexism. He is. Um, so absolutely, if you want to call it out, call it out. Um, certainly, it doesn't sound like you're worried about like losing financial support or afraid of ending uh, a, a relationship that's really already mostly non-existent but again if he doesn't change it's not because you didn't fail to make a persuasive case that you shouldn't call you know women who are financially dependent upon you either in the short term as a barista or in the long term as your employee honey and sweetie um that again that's like not taking pictures of people in a coma people know it's not okay they just used to do it a lot more often because they were able to get away with it like it wasn't like oh, maybe this is really a great idea and I'd love it if someone did this to me constantly. Like, the, 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 it's it's not like, oh, we had to very patiently explain that it was wrong and then people got it. It was like, it was always wrong. If you had a closer relationship with your parent, I think then you could almost say, this is what I go through. These are the kinds of things that are said to me and the people I love and this is how it affects them. It sounds like this might not be a person who would be receptive to you opening up because if you did feel safe enough to open up, you know, certainly that makes an impact like, oh, my actions are impacting people like, you know, my my daughter. Yeah. And if this is a conversation that you kind of go into geared with like, I'm going to have my one or two personal anecdotes to yeah. add support to my story. Yeah. I'm not going to bear my soul to him yeah. and like tell him every time I've experienced sexism, but I'm going to share some. And then like afterwards, I'm going to plan something fun for myself so that I can decompress. I think that would be fine. But don't feel like you have to like prove sexism exists to your dad by like cutting open your chest and saying like here's the first time that i experienced sexism in the fourth grade and like i'm gonna walk you through it all so that i can fix you um is is you know i the one thing i will say is that i've noticed of late over the last two years i've had a tendency to use the word kiddo not just talking uh to women but to, to people who are younger than i am okay is that uh ageism on my part is it i think part of me feels more comfortable with my own age maybe by saying kiddo i mean i i, I don't think that i want to make any kind of an, a one-size-fits-all ruling i think there's probably lots of situations in which kiddo would be charming some situations in which it would maybe feel slightly like eh, i'm not mm. wild about it but whatever um my my guess is that oftentimes people unlike this letter writer's dad would use it because it's like a quick to hand affectionate expression that's gender neutral. Mm. And I think a lot of people are trying to incorporate that more often into what they say. Um, but certainly, you know, if if you're worried about it, you can always check in with people. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't put, you know, unless you're doing it to people who work for you, which maybe then I would reconsider. I think mm. you probably don't have to be too anxious. The next one, the next one is subject, still twinned in name. Dear Prudence, my twin is transitioning. I'm happy for him and tried to be the best big sister possible, but I hate the name he picked out. Our parents gave us rhyming names, Jillian and Lillian, and dressed us as a single unit. I ended up shaving my head to distinguish myself. My twin had become withdrawn and developed an eating disorder. It wasn't a good time. We went to different high schools and cultivated different social groups because of how embattled our individualities were. I didn't go by Jill until college. I'm very sympathetic with what my brother has gone through. The problem is that he wants to use the name Jack, so we would be Jack and Jill, and this just brought back every bad memory of our childhood. I hate it. Can I ask him to change it? Wow. That is... Uh... I can absolutely understand why the idea of family members referring to you two as Jack and Jill brings up some old memories. I think that certainly I think you're perfectly aware that ultimately, you know, choosing your own name is a very personal thing. And and especially for somebody who's transitioning, um, it's really meaningful. I, I, you're only asking 
Can I ask him to change it? I think I would take it a slight step down from that and just say, can I share my like anxieties about it? And then also say, ultimately, the choice is yours. That I think, yes. I think I think you absolutely have grounds to, to tell him that. Uh, but I think you should also just be prepared to say like, it may very well be that he has a connection to the name Jack that feels primary and crucial to him. And that the idea of the two of you being referred to by family members is not the highest priority that comes to his choosing his new name. And at that point, I think one thing you could also say to the rest of your family is like, please don't call us Jack and Jill. If you need to refer to the two of us together, please say Jill and Jack. But hearing that like nursery rhyme would be really frustrating and irritating for me. And it would mean a lot to me if you would take that into consideration. Also, you know, you did say that you didn't go by Jill until college. So you empowered yourself to go with the name that you wanted to go with. And you made a choice irrespective of how your family felt. Because that's you're right. And I think the same is true with your brother. I mean, is it fair to ask why they chose that name? I mean, sure. You, you, but I think you can also be prepared for him to say, like, I, not a lot of thought went into it, but I connect with it emotionally. Like, I, I think that's one of those things where I, I wouldn't I wouldn't spend too much I- investigating just so you can say, here's why I don't like it. Like, I think those are almost two separate conversations. Right. Or rather, I guess the way I would approach it is like, on the one hand, I'm really excited for you that you're like changing your name. On the other hand, it has, it has surprisingly brought up for me like memories of our relationship as kids where we were like pressured into a sort of like twinned relationship that neither of us really wanted and a kind of closeness that wasn't like the real closeness that we have that was like about sameness. Hmm. And I've been a little surprised in myself that I've had this fear that people will refer to us as Jack and Jill. And I think that's a really good way to approach it because I think oftentimes – like if, if if your brother is at all worried that like this is just a lead up to your saying like and I don't really get any of this transition stuff that might help like ease some of those fears on his part. So you can just kind of say like I was a little surprised by that. Do you worry about that too? Do you remember that time in our life? Like was it a, does it feel easier now? Like does it still bother you? And that's just an opportunity for the two of you to share how you feel. And I think I, I realize that sounds a little like hippie-ish but i think that that would maybe just also help us to feel like the two of you are talking about god that fucking sucked when we were like pre-teens and they dressed us the same and called us the same practically the same name and i mean they had to think about their sister when choosing a name right like if the if your sister's name is jill you'd have to consider like huh jack is i mean that's such i mean maybe when i when i first changed my name i went by daniel mallory orberg and when I picked the name Danny and or Danny slash Daniel, it, it felt for me at least very much like a name that I thought about by itself. I also liked the way that it sounded with the rest of my name, but it, it was like a name that I tried out. I asked a couple of friends to try telling me. I tested it out at coffee shops. For me, it had a lot to do with just like, does this sound well? Do I feel a connection when I hear it? So it wasn't so much that I like sat down and wrote a lot of lists and thought about how would this affect my sister? How would this affect my mom? How would this sound like with various relatives' names? Maybe he did. I don't know. I just mean like it wouldn't shock me if when you told your brother that that was the first time he was like, oh my fucking God, Mm. I didn't even realize that this would make us Jack and Jill. Jesus Christ, that's hilarious and awful. right, Right. But ultimately, I think all you can do is say, this is what it brought up for me. If nothing else, I'm going to do my best to make sure nobody calls us Jack and Jill. It would mean a lot to me if you would consider other options. But if this is just like already the one, I will find a way to deal with it. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I think at that point it would not be appropriate to ask him to change it. Hmm. But also, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, And I think, sorry, this is like my last thought. Like the real problem here is that your parents and to some extent the rest of your family forced you and your twin into such like cross identification that you were like, I'm 11 and I'm going to shave my head. And Mm -hmm. your twin was like, I don't want to talk to anyone. And I want to like viciously control what goes into my body. So uh, frankly, I think maybe it feels like Jack is like the easiest person in your family to get to change something for you because you know the rest of your family will make you change. You know what I mean? Like that they don't actually care about your comfort. 
So I, I, I think more of the healing and more of the space is going to come from maybe talking about to your parents about how much you are troubled and upset by your own childhood, maybe through telling them unless and until you can apologize for some of these things. Like, I, I, I don't know how close I can be to you. Maybe it's going to be from saying, like, I'm really furious with the way that you treated us and these scars have lasted a long time and I don't know how to make it right. But you really fucked up. I, I think that's where the primary hurt, wound, resentment lies. And I think that's actually going to be the most emotionally productive thing to tend to. Because if if it's just a question of our family members are now going to make a joke out of calling us Jack and Jill, asking Jack to change his name doesn't really solve the problem. Because the problem is that the rest of your family still right. thinks it's really funny to treat the two of you like a clone. Yeah. So good luck. I'd love to hear back from you. I'd love to hear back from both of you. So, Jack, if you're listening, whatever you may decide to change your name to or not, whether or not you decide to be like, no, I'm still Jack or not, hit us up. Let us know. Hari, would you read our next letter? Subject, ungrateful gift recipient? Dear Prudence, my boyfriend has made a habit out of using birthdays and holidays as an opportunity to upgrade his lifestyle. He recently gave me his used laptop, which he did spending money on getting it cleaned up for Christmas after buying himself the latest upgraded laptop. My last birthday, he gave me his used scuba diving gear and took that opportunity to upgrade his own set. The thing is, I'm not a big diver, and my current laptop is perfectly adequate for my needs. The new one, quote-unquote, is much less portable and quite heavy. However, he gets upset if I say no thanks— so these presents are really just taking up valuable closet space at this point. Am I ungrateful or am I justified in feeling a bit stuck? I'm also not able to figure out why exactly this irks me, but it just doesn't feel good to fake enthusiasm as I'm walking over to the closet. Um, I think you have every right to not like this. Yeah. It's not really a gift if it's just a hand-me-down, you know, like... They can upgrade their life and still give you those things. It almost feels like your birthdays or special events are a way to gift themselves but not gift you and justify yeah. gift to themselves by giving you something they're no longer going to use. Yeah, and this this irks you because they're not presents. He's not getting you presents. And it's like, it's it's fine, but like... You don't need to concede that point to him if he's like, no, 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 these are really presents. It's like, no, you want to get rid of shit so you can get yourself nicer shit. Sometimes I don't want your old shit. Right. And um, I, I, from now on, like, if you want to simply, like, get me something inexpensive but thoughtful and write me a nice note for Christmas, that's great. But I don't want you to pretend that you're getting a chore out of the way right. is actually a thoughtful present you picked out for me because it's fucking not. And if money is the issue, then... You know, that person can sell their other laptop and use that money to buy you something that is thoughtful. Yeah, I mean, the guy's got scuba gear. Yeah, so money might not I be. think, yeah. I mean, it's not impossible, but I think most guys who upgrade their scuba gear yeah. are doing okay. That said, even even scuba guys sometimes have a budget. But that, I, think, I think I had mentioned earlier, it's fine if he gets you something relatively inexpensive. You're not saying, you must buy me brand new scuba gear. You're saying, don't give me shit that dovetails with your interests so you can get nicer equipment and pretend that it's something I want. Like the point, the fun of a gift is feeling like my partner thought about me, what yes. they know about me. They thought about what I might like or delight in, or even just that they like took my like hints about what I would like or my outright statements about what I would like. And they went out of their way. They like took an afternoon. They were thinking about me. They got it for me because it's delightful sometimes to get something from somebody else. Now, when you buy a gift for someone and they don't like it, the reason that might upset you is like, oh, God, I really thought this was a good gift. Sure. Now, in this situation, oh, they don't want my hand-me-down. Like, if anything, they're guilting you into taking something you do not want that they put no thought into. Yeah. Like, that is not acceptable in the slightest. And I I have to ask, why is this person like this? I, It, it feels like... Because he's being selfish is Yeah, why. but this is a level of selfishness I have never uh, experienced. Like, to hand-me-down gifts in a relationship? And for every birthday and holiday, that's pretty... I, I would 
put that high on the list of like reasons to consider breaking up with someone. Why does he does he do this to other friends in his life? Why does he think this is acceptable? Part of me wonder, is this a pattern that he got from his own family? Is this a how how does someone think this is what a present is? It sounds like he's made a habit like he maybe didn't do it early in the relationship. And then once he felt like you're my girlfriend now, I don't have to like or you're my boyfriend now, like I don't have to like try to woo you anymore got kind of lazy that was my read there i don't this is a a level of lazy (laughs) that i've like there's one thing between this is a lazy gift like oh you put no effort in buying me a gift certificate or a book you are literally giving me stuff that is already in the house yeah yeah stuff you've seen regularly See every day it's like you're giving me that i know that that's yours yeah like you're not a big diver. You don't want this. Like, and the fact that, like, the laptop is not even as good as the laptop you currently have. Like, yeah. that is not a gift. He literally gave you a shittier version of a thing you already have. Don't get the, like, keep your laptop. And this whole he gets upset thing, great. Let him get upset. You can get upset, too. And you have an actual reason to be upset. Like, dismiss entirely the foundation upon which he claims to have hurt feelings because it's fucking bullshit. Is he amazing in every other way other than this thing? Maybe he's a really good scuba diver. Maybe. Is that what it is? To watch him in the water, Hari, is like, (laughs) it's to see God. This is completely inexcusable. I am trying to, like, understand. Are there other things in your relationship that you love so much where you can... Perhaps, like, is this not a pattern where he values himself over you, where he meets his needs before yours? Because I have a tough time imagining this is the only example of this, because this is pretty over-the-top ridiculous. Yeah, it absolutely bites, and you have every right to, like, say, don't do it again. If you do it again, I will throw it away, and it will also be the last time you get me a present. Also, if there's any way to find out whether his previous laptop and scuba gear was a gift from a previous relationship. (laughs) I think that would be useful in your decision making. I just like the gall of I am re-gifting you some of my old stuff I don't want anymore. And when you're like, I actually don't want this. I'm like, how dare you? I spent weeks looking for this in the front hall closet. (laughs) Like, come I mean, on. sometimes when I like, I'd go on tour to different cities and stuff. I'd get free T-shirts and stuff. Yeah, and then I'd come home and like, sweetie, I got you a T-shirt, and I'd give it to, you know, uh, my partner. And you know, it was always the same. Like, you didn't get me anything, and right. it was kind of like we were both like, you're being a jerk, tongue in cheek, because I would never actually give that as a present. Right, and you're like, yeah, throw this away if you want. It's goofy. It's someone who values themselves exponentially more than they value you, at least in terms of gift giving. And I'm assuming potentially in other things, too. And it's such a like it's such a classic, you know, the Judge Judy line, like, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Yeah, that's what this is. Yes. He's pissing on your leg. And he's like, oh, it's raining outside. It's like, no, it's not. You're pissing on me. Or you're saying I got you this water, but it's used water. No, no, but it's still good. It's still water. It's like the same thing. Wait, are we still talking about piss? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. I didn't know if that was like... Well, I was trying to draw a stronger analogy between used things. Well, this is water that no, was that's used. No, that's ideal. That's ideal. And it was... Thank you. He's pissing on your leg. Yeah, yeah. He's pissing on your leg and he's calling it Christmas and he needs to knock it off. Okay, now we're done. Yes. We did it. We solved everyone's problems. Um, We told everyone exactly the right next thing to do. So if everyone just follows our advice to the letter, their lives will improve in five minutes or less. You're so good at this. I felt so bad. Like, oh, that my advice wasn't nearly as good as yours. Yours was so much thought, so much more thoughtful. I really enjoyed the advice that we were able to give together. And I really enjoyed the perspective that you brought to these questions. So um, I disagree with you. Oh, you're so good. Even in my moment <laughs> right there of having doubt, you you handled it so so I, neatly. I think often actually people will express after the show some sense of anxiety of like, I have no sense of whether or not I was useful to people. And I think one of the things that's challenging about you and I are sitting in a room mm-hmm. reading letters somebody wrote, but they're not here. We yeah. have no additional context is this sense of like did I just try to ruin someone's life? Like, did I just totally miss it? Nobody's here in the room saying either like, oh, that's helpful or like, no, I don't think I'll do that. So I just have to kind of guess. I think there's also moments during this where I realized I'm thinking to myself, what if I was in that person's position? 
And that's not always the best way to do because people are so like there's so many different variables. I cannot be in your position. There are too many things that make you who you are that don't make me who I am. So, you know, my response would be extremely different than yours is and, and rightfully so. And I, I notice how well you are able to read key details and try to understand why a person would be in a, a certain position. And I just want to say how amazing it is to watch you work. Well, that is very, very kind of you. And I appreciate it immensely. And thank you just so much for coming on the show. Absolutely, Danny. Thank Come you. back sometime with your mom. I would love that. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. It's it's not great to eat nothing but processed foods, but like they're also not going to die from eating granola bars and juice boxes. Also, has there been a scientific study that connects prepackaged foods with immune systems being depleted? That, that felt was... a little vague to me. Like, yeah. I'm sure that there's plenty of persuasive evidence that it's good to eat fresh produce right. more than boxed stuff. But like... The nutrition their immune systems need felt like, what nutrient do you believe the immune system needs? Like, it's a complex series of systems. It's not just like, extended life foods are full of both preservatives and nutrition. You know how you can tell that? Because the kids are alive. Yeah. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.